From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast audience. Here we are with Ask Christopher West. Hey, everybody. Wendy and Christopher are in the house. Here we are, and we're excited to be with you again. A couple of podcasts ago, I pointed out that the end of the podcast sometimes has a little blooper attached to it, thanks to our fun editor. And so um, I don't know if any of you have gone back to check out those bloopers, but I thought I'd ask Christopher about another one of his live bloopers that didn't get edited out, if you have any other memories uh, to share with us. Yeah, yeah. This was um, this was at the Naval Academy, and there were, there was a podium up on stage, and then there was a a little music stand where I had some of my my clock and some notes and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate being behind big podiums. So this guy got up to introduce me at the podium, mm-hmm. and <laughs> then I came up and gave my talk. And maybe 10 minutes into my talk, 20 minutes in my talk, phone started to ring. And I realized it was coming from the podium on stage. The guy who had introduced me left his cell phone up there. Oh, (laughs) no. And there it is ringing in the middle of my talk. So as I said a couple times ago when we were talking about bloopers, you always have to, I've learned this as a speaker, just work it in. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's just going to be a distraction otherwise. you got to work it into what you're doing. Uh-huh, but that's a pretty hard one. So, so I just went back and answered it. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the phone. It said Dave. Okay. And I said, hi, Dave. How you doing? He said, is, is this John? doesn't sound like you. I said, no, no, no. This isn't John. This is Christopher West. I'm actually in the middle of a lecture here at the Naval Academy. I held up the phone and said, hey, everybody, say hi to, to, <laughs> to what, Dave. To Dave. <laughs> And everybody laughed, and then we just moved on. That was, you know, work it in, and it, and you can move on without it being a distraction. Oh, that's pretty cool. So maybe during this podcast you might hear a phone ring, but maybe it's the Lord <laughs> calling you from heaven. <laughs> okay, so here we are with some questions. Most of these are anonymous questions, so I'll just um, give a little bit the backstory. And I have to say, some of the questions have kind of a lot of detail, and I have to try to shorten it. So please don't be offended if not all that you said in your question is in there, but I'm just going to kind of try to focus it. Um, This question says, we are 50 and 55. We love theology of the body. We practice NFP. But now in the perimenopausal stages... Well, let's define that one. Mm, Time time before for the end of fertility for a woman, Um, but when there are changes in the cycle. That's what she's saying. I don't think people know that you're an an RN. I used to be an RN. See, RN stands for registered. I'm not registered anymore. Oh, so you're just an N. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You were an RN, though. I was. So um, now in the perimenopausal stages, my cycle's not regular, and neither is the NFP. It is so frustrating as we are living in abstinence because of this. We know we're not meant to live as sister and brother or roommates, but as lovers and spouses. So she asks, what would you do in this situation? Well, we will be there 
soon enough. Yeah, it's, it is very close at hand for us as well. Yep, so we will, we will be crossing that bridge very soon. Uh, the few things stood out to me in the question we're not, we're not meant to live as brothers and sis, brother and sister or as roommates, but as lovers. My approach to this question, I want to enter it through those two words, brother and sister, and turn to a reflection from St. John Paul II in the Song of Songs, where he helps us to understand that really underlying the spousal relationship is a brother and sister relationship. That can be a little surprising or maybe disconcerting, depending on how we understand that or might interpret that. But he he gives great importance to this idea that the bride uh, is first referred to as sister. The bridegroom says, you are my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. Hmm. And he has this beautiful reflection on how calling his bride sister first helps us to recognize that when he calls her bride, the motivation is not one of lust, but one of true, genuine, self-giving love. Mm -hmm. And later in the Song of Songs, the bride says to her bridegroom, I wish that you were like a brother to me, Mm -hmm. or you are like a brother to me. It's it's an expressing a desire in that direction. The point is this, that... I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You're saying we're not meant to be brother and sister. And what you're saying is spouses have a sexual relationship. But underlying that sexual relationship is meant to be a a real brother-sister sharing the same humanity foundation that might color what you're going through a little differently. Because there are indeed phases of married life like the one you're in where sexual intimacy is not available to you. And how do we learn to love in those times? How do we... Spousal love is consummated by sexual union, but sexual union is not the only way to express love. Mm -hmm. And we've had in our own married life some unexpected extended times of abstinence, Mm -hmm. you know, more than the typical... 10 to 12 days that NFP requires in a month, but several months on end that we've Mm -hmm. experienced. And we needed to learn other ways of demonstrating our love. And I I think the the frustration we can feel, we can we can almost I want to be sensitive here because it's it's real. That frustration is real. But at the same time, in a lot of kind of chatter I see online and conversations about practicing NFP is so difficult. Uh, let's just, I wish we could get rid of NFP. What's difficult is not practicing NFP. What is difficult is chastity. Mm. We have to name things properly. Chastity is difficult, but chastity is a requirement of love. Mm-hmm. So if the real desire is to grow in love, and I'm assuming that is, of course, the desire of every human heart. It's the desire of this couple. They're 50 and 55. I'm sure they've been married a long time. Mm-hmm. They want to grow in their love. They're experiencing a challenge right now that is difficult. But And, and this is a paraphrase from something I heard Dr. Greg Popchek say some years ago, and I really liked it. He says, if you're finding NFP difficult, this is not an NFP problem. This is 
a challenge to a selfish desire that needs to be purified. Mm. The problem is not that you have a love desire that needs to be find some way to be satisfied, but but there's a there's a passion overriding your freedom here. And freedom comes before love to the extent that freedom is getting rolled over or mowed over or somehow trumped by a passion for for sexual union then it's not a loving desire uh, or or to the degree that it's not free it's not loving there's always love in there there's always because the wheat and weeds grow together but i'm trying to get into the fine tuning of where's the wheat and where are the weeds mm-hmm. obviously you've been married all this time Clearly, your desire for one another to come together in the marital embrace, there's certainly love there. I'm not trying to say it's all lust. Get, Mm-mm. you know, no. fix yourself. Something's, no, I'm, but to, to recognize that when NFP is difficult, it's difficult because chastity is difficult, and chastity is the virtue that allows all of our sexual desires to be the expression of authentic love. Chastity is the virtue that allows us to say, okay, here's the wheat in our desire, but there are some weeds. And anytime sexual passion is overriding our freedom to say no, which is what's being called on here, the, the, your freedom is being called on to say no, why do we say no? Out of reverence and honor for the goodness and beauty and splendor of God's plan for the sexual act. We say no, not, not because something's bad or, or wrong about sex, but we say no to honor the goodness and beauty and integrity of the act. So we need to challenge ourselves where our freedom might be compromised and let the challenge of abstinence do its work in us to strengthen those freedom muscles, so to speak. Mm. Now, that's, that's a very kind of guy's take on it. <laughs> I would love for you to share any wisdom you have, Wendy. Thank you, love. I think this is a great question, and I think there are probably listeners who don't have the background of using natural family planning and may think, what is this person telling us? That when you get to a certain age in using NFP, then you have to just abstain all the time. It may not be the case and probably isn't the case for most couples. There are many different experiences that couples have. So I just want to answer that question that may have arisen in some listeners' minds. But I, I think there's something really noble about this couple sensing that, and some of this detail I didn't read, but that mm-hmm. they have a, a good reason, a strong reason to avoid a pregnancy. And that they know that it is still possible. It's a remote possibility, but it is still possible. Yeah, we know people who've gotten pregnant in late 40s, early 50s. Yes, yes. So it it can still, you know, in the natural, it can happen. So there's a beautiful respect going on for your bodies and um, the power of your union. And I I just want to affirm that. I think that's really beautiful and noble. And, you know, it may be that you could benefit, you know, from a, say, an NFP-only doctor or a very trained teacher that could help you to better identify whether there are actual clear infertile times in your cycle to, you know, eliminate some of this frustration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are possibilities. And 
you know, I don't know you and whether all the, that is irrelevant to you, but I just want to mention that maybe in part for benefit of other listeners to know that um, this isn't just, you know, a given that somehow there are going to be years of abstinence between normal cycles and total infertility after menopause. But just saying that, you know, I think what you were addressing was a legitimate need for prolonged abstinence. In this couple's case, probably not a permanent need. You know, eventually the cycles will stop and fertility will end. And it doesn't seem like they have a situation that would cause them to need to continue to abstain at that time. But nonetheless, it can be such a challenging time for a couple, you know, and I think everything you shared can be helpful to aspects of dealing with that challenge of if you do have a reason to abstain for, you know, a longer time in your marriage. And just know that we pray for you to be encouraged. And I think even in your question, you know, it kind of reveals that you have a maturity and you have already experienced many graces in your marriage. And I think that that is going to continue. What would you do, you asked? And I think, first of all, we would abstain if we had reason to abstain. That has just been a sense of commitment that Christopher and I really share that it just, we want our actions to reflect our discernment, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that you share that, you've discerned that this is not the time to be taking the chance of conceiving and that your actions are reflecting that. And we share that, We're, we're with you in that. And if that meant a long time of abstinence for us, and it may, and we've certainly talked about this, it brings up fears, you know, concerns, because the union is a very grace-giving, strengthening part of a marital relationship. And so to go without that can be scary and can make us feel sad at the thought. And yet there's also something that says, but if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. And there's a gift in knowing that we have the hope that it's not a permanent situation. There are married people who have that as a permanent reality. So I just... You know, I guess basically I want to tell you, I think you're already on the right path and we share those same sentiments that you and your husband share and encourage you to keep seeking the Lord and seeking to love one another and trust Him um, in all of the trials that you're going through right now. We've also experienced in our extended times of abstinence that there's a growth in our bond because we know we're making a sacrifice because we love one another, mm-hmm. because we honor our sexual union and what it means, that I have not found in our abstinence a sense of distance or mm-hmm. a growing apart, but a, a communion in the sacrifice. There's a real rich communion in that sacrifice. I would urge you to listen to, was that our, I don't know, second episode where we were talking about Intimacy during the times of abstinence. It was an early podcast episode, earlier one. Um, I think it was the third one. The third one. You might want to listen to that third podcast, if you haven't heard it already, where we talk about really a call to freedom in expressing affection during times of abstinence. That would be very important. I also want to close out this question before we go to the next one with this quote from the Catechism. I'd urge you to, to look it up. It's Catechism 2342. It says... Self-mastery is a long and exacting work. One can never consider it acquired once and for all. 
It presupposes renewed effort at all stages of life. Mm. There you go. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Here is a call at this stage of your life, you know, all these years in the married love, of a deeper self-mastery. And it is a long and exacting work, but it's, it's the discipline required of the self-mastery. Here's my, my typical analogy I use. It's the discipline of, of a musician who learns how to make ever more beautiful music through the discipline of learning the instrument, right? Anybody can bang on a piano keyboard without any discipline, but it makes meaningless noise. The self-discipline of chastity and self-mastery when we live it rightly, it's the, it's the self-discipline that leads to ever more beautiful music. Mm. So keep going, keep going. You're, you're on the verge of entering into a whole new stage and phase of this musical score of your married life. Mm. Yes. This is uh, an anonymous question. What do you do as a husband when you are the one in- interested in a deeper communion of persons with your spouse, but your wife is relatively disinterested in physical intimacy to begin with, and even when she's open to sex, it only seems she's open to the physical dimension of it. Mm. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. I don't know you, I don't know your wife, but just from this little bit of information... I have a, a, a window into what might be a history in your wife's life of some s- sexual pain. Uh, I, I, obviously, I can't read in and know for sure. But when, typically, when a woman finds sexual union distasteful or is not desirous of it, in a kind of blanket kind of way, which it sounds like that's the the kind of picture you're painting here, there's probably something in her history that would shine a light on where those attitudes come from. Maybe many things in her history that shines a light on where those attitudes come from. Uh, This is not meant in any way as a judgment, but as a, a, a hope that for you, dear husband, we don't know your name, but a hope for you, dear husband, that there is an explanation. God knows it for sure. God knows the whole history of your wife's heart and whatever painted her particular disposition to the marriage bed. Uh, But for you, I sense in this an invitation really to take up that calling of Ephesians 5, verse 25, I think it is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. My dear brother, you are in profound intimacy with Jesus here, united with his heart, the bridegroom who longs, aches, pines, yearns, for union with us, his bride. And so often we're cold towards Jesus. So often we're, to go with the analogy, maybe frigid, Mm. uh, unresponsive. Jesus is bleeding to love us, and our hearts are hardened. Um, There is a profound union with Jesus that you have Mm. here, dear brother in his longing for union with his bride. And it comes out so powerfully 
at the Last Supper when Jesus says, uh, I have yearned with great yearning to eat this Passover with you. Mm-hmm. I have yearned with great yearning. And this Passover, the, the way the Last Supper unfolds, for the Jewish listener, for the Jewish participant in that Last Supper, it was all spousal imagery. The Eucharist, as John Paul II says, is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride. Jesus longs. Uh, the fathers of the church even say, is there any more mad eros than what we see in Christ on the cross, longing to be one with his bride, and yet the bride is unresponsive? Dear brother, find your communion with Jesus in that longing for your bride. Find communion in your bleeding heart for her. Christ in you is ready and willing to suffer whatever it takes to woo her as long as it takes to to suffer that that pain as long as it takes for her to know she is loved and wooed and desired. Just some initial thoughts on my heart as I I let your question kind of sink in. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful what you shared about the analogy between his experience and the Lord's experience how well the Lord knows the very thing that this husband is feeling. And, and he, knows, he knows your wife's heart as well. And I've certainly experienced this in our marriage, love, where struggles that you've gone through, where, and you've experienced it, I know certainly for me, uh, when we know the other is struggling with something, we can pray, and the Lord can give us a little window into what it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're better at this than I am, I, I know, but you... You have experienced oftentimes burdens in your own heart that I'm experiencing. Like mm-hmm. you've felt in your heart things I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I, again, I'm not as, it's not as normal for me, but there are times when I can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I felt something in my heart that is a burden in your heart, and it becomes a real powerful, uh, not just communion between us, because I can sense your pain or your struggle, mm-hmm. or you can sense mine. But the Lord sometimes puts a burden on your heart for your spouse that is intercession. Mm-hmm. So I'd encourage you to, to seek the Lord's face for what is your heart, what is your wife's heart suffering? What is she feeling in those moments where she's not so interested in sex or when she is interested in sex, you said it's more just a, a physical desire and you're longing for a much deeper intimacy. Mm. There's, there's something in your wife's heart that there's some block there, and the Lord might grant you a little taste of it so that you can learn how to present that to the Lord, even when she's not a, uh, she, she doesn't know how to do it herself, perhaps, but you could carry that into heaven, so to speak, as a prayer for her. You can give that to the Lord for her because you really are one flesh. Mm. Yeah, I think a key, too, is a sense of deep, fidelity to this woman being the Lord's gift to you and you being the Lord's gift to her and not, you know, giving in to self-pity or looking for, you know, someone else that could meet that need that you feel, but to trust the Lord has a plan in your marriage and reaffirming that commitment to the lifelong process of growing together in love and it takes sometimes 
periods that seem like nothing is happening, and sometimes the changes are slow. And so the Lord just keeps inviting us to trust in Him and remain faithful by His grace to things that are you know difficult for us, that the Lord is encouraging us and strengthening us for that which is difficult. So I just want to be you know, praying for you as a couple that you would each experience the grace that's available to take the next step in your relationship. Good counseling could be really important mm-hmm. here too. Wendy and I are, are not at all marriage counselors. We're happy to give whatever advice we can just based on our own experience mm-hmm. and our knowledge of John Paul II's teaching, but good counseling could be really helpful. I'd, I'd recommend three places you could look. You could go to, and we'll put this in the show notes, you could go to Pastoral Solutions Institute. Uh, Greg Popchak heads that up, and he's got a great team of counselors. Catholic Psych Institute, uh, Dr. Greg Bataro heads that up. And DocPeter.com is a beautiful psychologist who lives in Denmark, Dr. Peter, who I've gotten to know and respect greatly. He's someone I often recommend. Mm-hmm. And he does counsel over the in, phone in English. Yes. In English, over <laughs> <Yes>. the phone, <laughs> uh, as does uh, Pastoral Solutions Institute, and I think Catholic Psych Institute does, but I'm not sure. Now we have a question from Alexandra, who says, um, first of all, she thanks us for doing this podcast. So you're, you're welcome, welcome. Alexandra. <laughs> yes. um, you're why we do it. That's right. She asks, what helps you listen to God? I spend way too much time talking in my prayer time. Please tell me more. Ha! Love this question. It's a beautiful question. But before I answer it, I, I want to hear your thoughts, Wendy. Oh, no. This is for you. I, oh, I'm not on, starting. Come on, no. come on, come <laughs> on. Well, please chime in with your feminine genius as you see fit. Okay. What helps me listen to God? Uh, listening to God is a science of the heart. So we need to learn how to get in touch with our hearts. And for me, beauty helps me get in touch with my heart, uh, beauty of creation. I love creeks. I love woods. I love mountains. I love trails. I love hiking. And I love beaches. And my wife loves beaches. That's another uh, that could be maybe one of our things we talk about at the start of a podcast, our differences. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Wendy loves beaches. I love the woods and the mountains and lakes and creeks. Nature, that's the, sh- the short answer. Nature helps me get in touch with my heart. Getting in touch with my heart helps me get in touch with the Lord. Art, good art, art that speaks to my heart. Music I love. Movies I love. Stories I love. So I often invite my students to to reflect on what was your first favorite song that you can remember way back maybe into your childhood. What was your first favorite song? I'd invite, Alexandra is her name, right? Mm-hmm. Alexandra, I'd invite you. Here's a little assignment if you're willing to take it up. Tonight, before you go to bed, listen to your earliest favorite song. The first favorite song you can ever remember having. Look it up online, give it a listen, and just say, Lord, why did I like this song? Why did it speak to my heart? 
What were your favorite stories as a little girl? What were your favorite movies as a little girl? What were your favorite outfits as a little girl? Those things that our hearts are drawn to, those are windows into deep mysteries of our unique persons. And Mm -hmm. this is where God encounters us most intimately in the things that we love. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think something that helps both of us is writing in a journal. Mm -hmm. And I think something I notice is that if I am writing in a journal, I... I write as if I'm talking to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then I can see how, as I've written about what I wanted to talk about, that I actually, looking at it there in that context of prayer, I begin to feel like I'm seeing it from a new perspective. And I think that is the initial way that I experience the Lord is responding to my what I've shared is by kind of having a feeling of a step back and a new look at what I'm you know, wanting to talk to the Lord about that causes me then to want to respond myself and look at my life through His eyes, through His heart. Um, so I just share that, you know, writing in a prayer journal as a tool for listening to God. And good spiritual reading, that, that is always part of my kind of daily prayer routine. I'm reading some spiritual book, and then I'll read the scriptures for the day. Whether I'm able to get to Mass or not, I'll always read the uh, the readings for the day. That can just get me in touch with places in my heart. But uh, again, the, learning the, the ways of your heart, learning the desires of your heart, what attracts your heart, these are the ways of, of learning to listen to the Lord. In one of the books I was reading just recently, a uh, a Carthusian monk was talking about his prayer life and and how you begin to recognize the little signs of the Lord and how he speaks to you. He says it's mm-hmm. like a it's like a two lovers where they're separated um, throughout the day, but there are little signs where the 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 woman will will see a note mm-hmm. and there's no signature on it, but she knows it by the handwriting. This mm-hmm. is from my lover. Mm-hmm. Or she'll be taking a walk with a friend and she'll hear some some melody coming out of some unknown place, a song she'll hear, and she knows it's her lover singing to her, mm-hmm. and but her friend is totally unaware. Mm-hmm. Or she'll see some flowers and she'll know they're a gift from her lover. All of these little signs, you begin to read the signs. God speaks to us in sign language. Mm-hmm. And we begin to read those signs and it becomes unmistakable. The Lord is speaking to our hearts. Mm-hmm. We went pretty long on that first question, so mm-hmm. I think that's about all the mm-hmm. time we have for on this episode. Yep. But thanks, everybody, for those questions. If you have questions you'd like us to answer, you, I think you know where to go. Go to AskChristopherWest.com to submit those. Leave us a review. Sign up for the free course at AskChristopherWest.com forward slash free course. And we'd love to come to your area with our Made for More event can learn more about the Made for More event just by Googling Made for More with Christopher West. God bless you guys. Yes, God bless you. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key.
<laughs> I looked at the phone. It said Dave. Okay. And I said, hi, Dave. How you doing? He said, is, is this John? It doesn't sound like you. I said, no, 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 this isn't John. But maybe it's the Lord <laughs> calling you from heaven. 